Folks, this week we're joined by J.D. Sustar. He is the finance cowboy on the Pre-Real podcast. Uh, J.D.'s got a pretty remarkable story. He just started branding a year ago. He's up at 80,000 followers. Uh, He's absolutely crushing it on single-family acquisitions. Uh, He's up to about 22 doors. We talk a lot about building the brand, how to build that personal brand, how to make that reach turn into opportunities, and of course, profit at the end of the day. Uh, He walks you through his pro forma, uh, how to manage it from acquisition right on through the closing and post-management, how to do it at scale. So uh, J.D. Sustar, this week on the show, don't miss it. Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of Pre-Real. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Pre-Real Podcast. We're joined today by J.D. Suster. He is the finance cowboy. Uh, We're going to jump in with J.D. You know, we've talked a lot, folks, over the last year or so about the market and the importance of content and social media. We've talked a lot about taking your first steps and investing uh, we've talked a lot about vetting where you're placing your money if you're not an active investor. And JD has an amazing story to share. Uh, he has grown his social media following up to 75,000 or 80,000 followers in a very short amount of time. And he's working to leverage that now into uh, opportunities. JD, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. What's up, man? I appreciate you having me. I uh, appreciate you being on. Uh, this is these are funny times, you know, and we've spoken so much about folks investing in themselves, investing in their brand and trying to find a safe place at a time when the world seems to be upside down, at least the financial markets are. Um, I think it'd be neat for you to give the audience a, a little bit of context about you and where you started, and then we can get into how you grew it. Yeah, definitely. And and you you mean from the the brand side, the finance cowboy side? Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking about this earlier uh, before we started the show. I um I have a family member who is super way smarter than I am. They're older than I am. They're successful. They're like a couple steps down from the CEO in a, in a large hospital system here uh, in the southeast. And uh, I have been investing in real estate since 2018, and it grew my wife and I's net worth substantially. You know, it raised our cash flow, we're building all this wealth. And so I'm telling my family, obviously, super excited about it. And uh, this family member always, I don't want to use the word blew me off, but, you know, it's kind of like, you know, JD's a little more blue collar, rough around the edges. We'll see if this works out for him. And he never, still to this day, has bought real estate, just kind of blew me off, you know. And um, so I stopped talking to him about it. I was like, you know what? I don't care. <laughs> you know, we're doing our thing. I'm doing good. I'm just going to stay in my lane. And then last June, he decides to start sending me post from this 26-year-old on Instagram who had 30,000 followers who was teaching people to invest in index funds. And so now this 26-year-old with a very minimal net worth, but he had followers, had been able to convince my family member who has never invested in before outside of his 401k, well, now he had taken the dabble into index funds because this guy said to do it. And so I have nothing against index funds. I own some index funds. That's fine. But I'm my whole thing is 
I couldn't get anything through his thick skull. Now this 26 year old did. I got to hop on social media and give this a shot. And so hence, uh, that's how Finance Cowboy was born. I think it was July 12th of 2021. It was actually under a different name. The name was too niche. I was putting cowboy boots on one day and the name hit me Finance Cowboy. And I used to talk a lot more about personal finances uh, and I still do. I think it goes hand in hand with real estate. But as I progressed and I kept growing, I would just throw stories out there about buying real estate. And it was interesting because the market on Instagram pushed me to wanting more information. People want to learn about real estate. So I went all in on that. And I, you know, get to teach the, the everyday person. Like when I think of my avatar, who am I reaching? I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a father of three, another one on the way. I have a full-time job. I'm in the community. I coach sports groups. I'm involved at church. And so who I help is that person, the everyday person, they got a job, then maybe they have a family, they want to have a family, and they want to know how can I invest in real estate while doing all of this. And that's, uh, it's been a, it's been a fun journey the last year and a half or so. So the importance of social media and followers cannot be overstated. It is the currency of the day. Um, And a lot of folks want to get going on it. And I think part of the problem, JD, is is they don't recognize the value of the knowledge they have in their particular niche. Um, we forget, I forget still to this day, that 30 years in this business, I've seen just about every kind of deal you can you can imagine. And what has become old hat and second nature for me is amazing, valuable information to the next investor. So as you started to identify this, what type of content specifically, give me an example of a video that you put out. Like what exactly are you conveying in these videos that gain to, to grip 75, 80,000 followers in a year is ridiculous growth. Mm-hmm. I mean, you should be congratulations on that. Congratulations on the success. God bless you with the family. Um, you're incredibly relatable. Right. I think the fact that you're talking about being involved in the community, you're coaching for the kids, you're involved with the church. That's part of how the people find you. And I think people miss that. Mm -hmm. And then conveying the knowledge is another piece. I failed miserably with not connecting first. I was predicting markets. You can go back and look at what I've been predicting for the last 10 years, nailing it, market prediction after market prediction, and not having the growth. And I didn't understand. Why? You know, you can see some goofy video on social media have 50,000 views. And here I am telling you where interest rates are going to go, when they're going to go, what to do to be in position to capitalize on that, how to not get hurt. And I couldn't couldn't reach an audience. Where did I miss the mark? And how did you connect in such an unbelievable way? Because it is unbelievable. Oh, I appreciate it, man. It's uh, It's been interesting. And I've been learning along the way. You know, I think just before I jump into the types of posts, what you said about how important it is to build a personal brand on social media right now. I can't stress that enough. What it, the opportunities it has opened for me in the last year that I had no idea even exist um, is quite amazing. It is quite amazing. There's so many people out there who are starving to learn and it doesn't, you don't even have to be an expert. You said you've been in the industry 30 years. I've been in the industry four, four and a half. Okay. So I'm not over here. You could talk me up and down the walls on real estate because you've just had more experience than I have, but I am teaching from the experience I have. And so even if you're not an expert or something, what do you enjoy talking about? What are you dabbling in? Get on there and teach people about your failures right? You can, people can learn from your failures. And the key there is just being consistent, showing up every day. And like you said, being relatable, like how can you tie in your messaging 
with the people. And the way I do that is I, I try to put myself in their shoes. Like, how is this person thinking? What can I do to grab their attention? And so it's all kind of a silly game, so to speak. The first, you know, five to seven seconds of videos are important. You got to do something to catch them and draw them in. And it's, you know, sometimes it's cool stuff. Sometimes it's gimmicky stuff. But the whole point is we have a short attention span. So we got to pull them in quickly and then we can deliver that value. And so for me, what the types of videos, an example of what has been probably my most popular types of video, and I do all types, you guys can go to Finance Cowboy uh, on Instagram, and you'll see But some of the some of the most popular ones is I am sitting at my computer like this, okay, it doesn't show me at all, I have my phone on my computer, and I am walking through analyzing properties. And so I'll talk about, I'll go through every property that I've ever purchased or every property I've ever went through. And I'll say, let's analyze this property together. And I'll go through the purchase price and I'll go through what the interest rates are and the amortization and the maintenance and vacancy rates, all that. And I'm plugging it into this calculator that I have, this rental property calculator. And I'm showing them everything that needs to go in it. And then it's spitting out the numbers and I'm telling them what kind of, kind of deal it is. What's the cash flow? What's cap, cap rate? What's cash on cash return? The NOI. And people are just enamored by it because they don't understand it. You mentioned it, like what seems like pretty simple to us isn't most people, I don't say most people, a lot of people don't even know how to calculate cash flow. And so I will get messages, people will question my numbers because they'll be like, no, that's not right. Cash flow is just, you know, rent minus mortgage. And I'm like, oh, Lord, have mercy, you know? And so there's you, if you can take what you know, simplify it, then simplify it again. And then simplify it again, pretend you're teaching it to a child, you have a good chance of connecting because a lot of people are green, but they have the they have the urgency to want to learn. So you're you're taking essentially what you're doing throughout the course of the day anyway, <laughs> and, and you're documenting it and you're showing folks how to walk through it. It's it's fascinating to me how there's something sexy about real estate. Right. Like people yep. want to be a part of it. And when you're in the business, you definitely get numb to uh, the things that you take for granted that you're doing, you know, all day long are skills that we've developed and honed and sharpened. You know, for me, it's been decades at this point. So uh, I think that's amazing that by boiling it down, you're landing with such a massive audience that is looking. I, I think that's one of the byproducts, right, of, of COVID. Folks are open to changing. They're open to a, just a different way. And there's a lot of people that are looking to trade that nine to five in and own a piece of the American dream here. Yeah. Um, you're Are you doing brand coaching as well, or is it more real estate centric? So right now, I don't have any coaching program. We are so close to launching our just our real estate coaching program. I call it a rental academy. Now, we'll teach fixing and flipping, um, it, but but mainly it's going to teach that everyday person, how do we build that rental portfolio, whether it be, you know, single family, multifamily. And, and the course, you know, is going to be really centered on the smaller multifamily. I'm not getting into syndications with, you know, large apartment complexes and commercial buildings. Um, but no, I, I the next course uh, or coaching that I come out with will probably be the brand because I probably get that question just as much as I do real estate. You know, people want to know, hey, how do I do it? And I, I, I enjoy teaching that just as much as I do real estate. So I don't have that yet, but I would I would love to be able to help people with that down the road. So single family homes is the focus view on the investment side. Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, I would have said you're nuts. You can't scale it. You can't do it in, in any significant way without burning resources. Now we're finding some of the biggest and best real estate funds in the world 
are taking down huge single family portfolios. What is it about the single family that lands for you? You know, I had some guys uh, when I started, my best friend was already in real estate and his boss is, you know, it's just brilliant, I think. And everybody has good strategies. So there's, oh, oh, let me preface this. I don't think single family homes is the only way to do good, you know, real estate. You can do good multifamily, commercial, everything. But when I was first starting, I was like you, we were talking before the show about how you want to take risk and take chances, but you want to do it conservatively, as conservative as you can with as little risk as you can. And so I think when anybody's starting to invest in real estate, there's a fear. I can remember the fear. You know, I don't have it anymore. It's just like secondhand. It's almost like I don't use use the word addiction. Once you get those first couple of deals down, it's like you just don't stop looking for the next one. You know, it's like you're ready to rock and roll now. But when I had that fear, I wanted to mitigate risk as much as possible. And I looked at like what appeals to the masses. And when you look at what appeals to the masses in real estate, it's single family homes. Right. Banks love to lend to them. Why? Because everybody buys single family homes. That's the American dream. It's easy to exit them. Why? Because everybody buys single family homes. You're not just selling to investors. You can sell to an investor. I've sold rentals to investors. You can also, you know, put some lipstick on it and sell it to an end user who wants to buy it. So there's such a bigger pool. And then there's an argument here, but I tend to think that you can get a little better clientele as renters in a single family home compared to an apartment. Now commercial, you know, talking about businesses, totally different, different subject, but just looking at, you know, um, small multifamily or large multifamily versus single family, I think you get good tenants. So, so when I looked at that, you know, it's easy to get into, it's easier management because the clientele and then the, the exit strategy uh, gives you the best options. You know, that's what I went with and uh, it's really worked out. So you touched on a couple of things there. Um, is the academy going to include some coaching on mindset and helping folks get over those initial fears? One hundred percent. It's that is a huge part of it. And, you know, we have a lot of pre-recorded stuff that people can hop on, but there's weekly calls, you know, that we'll have as well. And that stuff, we'll talk to. Could you got to right? I mean, I don't know if you can. You think back that far? You've been in it so long, but it's like. Yeah, most people have that fear. It's like riding a roller coaster. You're so scared. Then you hop on. It's like, okay, you know, let's go now. But you got to have that conversation. You got to, the way I, the way I talk about it is we have to take that emotion, right? Because emotion is going to be there, but we have to find a way to replace it with logic. And for me, the logic is it's riskier for my future self to not invest in real estate than it is for me to invest in real estate. So without a doubt um, to this day, uh, I'm still learning. I guess I'm I'm pretty damn stubborn, but I had a hard time, even after all these years, JD, realizing that if you have the deal and you have the experience, the money will come. Yeah. I had it backwards for so long. I felt that if you didn't have the access to capital, then you couldn't execute. And what I found is when you reverse it, and you recognize the access to the deals and just having the experience, man, that's 90% of it. I found that there's a whole world out there that's itching to, to get involved. And by growing your, your brand, that's how folks can get involved. So yep. let's talk about, let's get in the weeds a little bit. Where are you finding these deals? So I'm finding them in the upstate of South Carolina. And, and just to mention on what you just said, dude, you hit that, you hit the nail on the head. So like so many young people or young investors don't know where to start and they think they got to be able to have this money. And the only reason I'm just reiterating this is because it's probably the number one question I get 
on Instagram. And I tell people, I want to trademark it, find deals, get money. Like, Hey, how do I get started? Learn everything you can about real estate and just go be a bird dog. Find as many deals as you possibly can. Then come back to me and I'll help you find funding because there are thousands, hundreds of thousands. We got 300, 300 million people in America. Okay. Let's go. We can find somebody to lend to you. But anyways, back to your question. Well, where do I, where am I finding my deals? So I normally, because I'm in a good rental market, okay, I normally stick to close to where I'm at. So I'm in the upstate of South Carolina and I live in a town called Anderson. So if you look on a map, we're essentially right between Atlanta and Charlotte. And I'm right near a city that's growing pretty quickly in Greenville. And so I am looking in B to C class neighborhoods in my area um, that, um, we can do value adds, right. So that we can do forced appreciation off of the get go. And so I've find, I've found them a number of ways. I just locked up two properties this month. I closed on one, two weeks ago. I closed on another one on the 27th. Both of those came from the MLS, man. You know, we look at this market, they, they I watched them the day they came on and I waited until they got, they've been on the market for over 30 days. And I went in, offered cash $40,000 less than what they were asking, because that's what would make it a very good deal for me. One of them accepted it at $40,000 less. The other one, I got it at $30,000 less cash close, um, you know, with, with a two week span. And, um, you know, like you said, I was able to lock those up and then go find the private money because they were heck of deals and, you know, and make it happen. So uh, that's how I'm doing it. You know, I, those were on the MLS. I've cold called and found properties. Networking has been huge for me. Like I literally teach people, just tell everybody, everybody, you know, that you invest in real estate, you know, get in with locksmiths, get in with contractors, tell all the realtors. I've got so many deals that, you know, I haven't bought any recently from a locksmith, but I got a guy in my church. He's a locksmith. He calls me every time he's in a house that they're about to sell, you know? And so just really networking hard, looking at the MLS, cold calling, if you want, throwing some stuff on Facebook marketplace, um, but really trying to keep those leads coming in. So you're, you're headed into what I believe will be the greatest buying opportunity of our lifetime. I think that this is going to make 2008 look like tea with Gandhi. I think yeah. that there's going to be a lot of pain, unfortunately, uh, but that does breed opportunity. And if you're not afraid to put offers out at what makes sense, um, that's another thing where folks get hung up. Um, we don't know what's on the other side of that table. We don't know what the seller's real goal is. Many, many, many times, it's not getting the most amount as they can for the property. Many times it's surety. Yep. They, they need to, or they want to exit. They want to exit quickly and cleanly. They need that peace of mind for a myriad of different reasons. So uh, I would encourage folks, you know, as JD just gave us two examples, don't be afraid to make offers. You're not going to insult anybody. You know, go out there and if the deal works for you, put them out. You yeah. know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? It's yeah. famous Gretzky line. So exactly. um, you, you never know what's going on on the other side of the table. I've seen people sell for things and go, like, you just don't quite understand it. Then as you get a little bit more experience, you recognize that getting the maximum dollar amount is is often not the draw for you. So you're right. you're vetting these things uh, on a case-by-case basis as they came as they come in. You've got a spreadsheet you built out. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm doing. And, you know, a lot of people are asking me, why aren't you waiting until next year when the market's going to drop more? You know, aren't there going to be good deals? I think there's going to be a lot of good deals and I'm primed up and ready to rock and roll then. But why wait when you can get prices now for what they're going to be, you know, next year? It's like you said, people, the two people that I bought from, they needed to get out. 
Well, one of them needed to move to Michigan within three weeks. I said, well, I can do a two-week close. You know, the other one, it's an estate sale. It's surety. They want to get rid of it because they, everybody knows the market's looming. And so there's so many opportunities. And I would encourage you guys, don't just wait around and, and make sure you're vetting them, right? Give yourself a buffer in there, knowing that the market's going to slow. It's already slowing. It's going to slow more in the next year, year and a half, maybe two years. And so, you know, give yourself a good equity boost there. Um, and always run your numbers. I give out a free resource uh, that people can get from my Instagram page. And it's literally a 19 point checklist I put together that gives everybody everything that they need to look for when analyzing a rental property. And so they take that 19 point checklist, they accumulate all these different items, right? And then they go plug it into a rental calculator, which I, you know, I, I have mine that people can, that people can get, or if you got, you can get them online. If you have one, whatever, just go get a rental calculator from somewhere. You got to, you got to have something to run a pro forma, plug it all in there and then look at the numbers. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very conservative with that. And, you know, I want to make sure I have a good deal and look at the pro forma over the next three, you know, four or five, 10 years. And, um, you know, that's how I make my decisions. So it's interesting. Uh, you touched on, you know, folks saying, well, why, why don't you wait till next year? It's a fool's errand, folks, to time the market. You're not going to do it. it it's no. you, you just don't know. Uh, decades in we've got a sense of what's happening but uh as jd said there's money to be made up down and throughout the life cycle uh i found many times when folks are are saying things like that it's an internal issue they're not ready to to make that move yet for whatever reason they're not comfortable yet uh but if they can get past that man you're right there's money to be made up down and all around so yeah. when when you're vetting these things out do you mind if we ask a little detail on like metrics yeah. that are all yeah. right, so so what's important to you is it the cash on cash is it the the net number at the end of the month what what works for for JD it it, it varies deal by deal that's a great question i get asked that a lot so like i have a um Mobile home park, a mini one. It's got seven mobile homes. When I bought that, it was strictly because of cash flow. You know, right now it's cash flowing six thousand a month. It's on a ten year note, right? And so I bought that off, of, you know, based on cash flow because that's not a you know big appreciating asset. When I buy Airbnbs, for me it's cash flow. I'm looking at how can I maximize this cash flow. I own one in Charleston, South Carolina, brings me in eight fifty to nine hundred a month, which I think is pretty good. Could be better if I didn't have all the HOAs, but it's kind of like a beautiful scenario because I got good cash flow and it's on a gated community island with million dollar homes around me. So over time, the appreciation is going to be great too. Um, and then with my long-term rentals, man, I would be lying if I said it was all one metric um, because when I started and still to this day with a lot of my long-term rentals, you know, I really play the long game. I really do. And so I'm not looking one to two years away. I'm looking five, 10, 15, 20 years away. And so like the deal I just closed on two weeks ago, it's cash flowing 150 bucks a month, you know, and I think the cash on cash returns somewhere like nine and a half or 10%, which is fine, but it's not like a killer. Somebody might be like, well, why would you buy that? Well, let's say that this property doesn't appreciate one ounce over the next 10 years. I still have a property that is right now worth $150,000. I'm making 150 bucks a month in case crap hits the fan. And somebody else is paying off that asset for me. And I don't have to do anything about it. I got a property manager in place. And so if we look 10 years down the road and I and I had no appreciation whatsoever, 10, 15 years down the road, I'm gonna have a property free and clear worth $150,000. And so I, I really keep that in mind and not try to get caught up on the, 
the year one pro forma because we have to look at the long run. And then what I really didn't do as a rookie, and you got to be careful. You don't want to just speculate. You can't just speculate. And that's why I just gave you the example without any appreciation. But if we use some common sense, history tells us there is going to be some appreciation built in there in the long run. And then rents based on history and data is going to keep appreciating well. So that year one pro forma is only going to get better. So yeah, I may only make 150 bucks in cash flow year one, but what's it look like at year five? What's the value at year five? And so, you know, that's a um, long story long. That's, that's kind of how I, uh, you know, look at these properties when I'm buying them. So you're flexible depending on the, the particular asset and it's smart. You're diversifying and you're, you're trying to cover the bases. So, cause there are a lot of ways to, to earn in this business and yep. appreciation is certainly something you can't look past when you're negotiating your deals. Are you doing uh, inspections? Do you have contingencies? What do your deals look like? I always do a physical inspection, like a home inspection or a termite inspection, obviously title inspection. Uh, those are no brainers. If somebody doesn't want to allow me to do it, I just won't buy a property, you know? And um, some could argue that that's not the smartest thing. And, you know, I would say, you know, you maybe you're right. Cause I could just get a contractor to go in there and look at it. But what I've learned over the years is, you know, contractors, are like, Oh yeah, we can fix that. Not a big deal. Oh yeah. We can fix that. Yeah. No biggie. Yeah, not, not. You know, next thing you know, it's $50,000 and they're like, Oh, no biggie. Whereas an inspector is going to go in third party. They're going to give you the nuts and bolts of everything. And so I, I do that for, for number one. The second reason I do a physical inspection is, I really think true negotiations start after you get the property under contract and you have your inspection back. I don't know how many times that I've got a property under contract, got the inspection. They'll be like, well, we're selling it as is. Well, don't let that think that don't let that make you think you can't get more money knocked off the deal as is means nothing to me, right? It just means they're not going to do it. That's fine. You don't have to do it, but I just showed you $15,000 worth of repair in this inspection report. I'm going to need $15,000 taken off of this price. And the thing is, once I do that inspection, legally, that's public knowledge. So if, if the sellers didn't know all this before, if they push me out and somebody else comes in to buy, they have to disclose that they're supposed to. And so it's like, okay, you can kick me out. Well, you're going to have to disclose this to the next person. And so I really think that inspection gives me a lot of leverage. Without a doubt. So um, let's talk about getting to the closing table. Where are you pulling your financing from? I've done it a ton of different ways. I've done private money. Okay. I've used family. I've used friends. I've used friends of friends. I have um, used seller financing on the trailer park that we own. You know, buddy, the guy who owns it, seller financed it to us. I have put a lot of my own money into deals as a down payment, right? Saved up me and my wife when we first started, before I really started dabbling and understanding private funding and seller financing, we would save up everything we had as soon as we had, you know, we were buying properties for 60 to $80,000 in 2018. So as soon as we had another 12 to 15 grand saved up, boom, literally just go buy another property. And so those are, you know, kind of, and then partnerships. So, you know, where I would do an LLC with a buddy, you know, or a couple of us, and we would split the down payment so it wouldn't be as much. And so I have, you know, covered the full gamut of things. I haven't technically done hard money. You know, private money is very similar to hard money. It's just not a professional, so to speak. Uh, I have a lot of hard money lenders who message me pretty much daily, especially now that I have the reach. They all want to work with me, but I really like private money. Uh, if it's somebody I know, I normally get better deals. And, you know, I try to work in a way to not have to put any capital down. So 
Sure. So are you using the private money for just the down payment or for the entire acquisition? Or are you going to like a bank and getting institutional debt for the second piece? So I'm doing the Burr method normally. So that's buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. So I'm taking private money for the entire purchase and the rehab, buying it, rehabbing it, get a tenant in, the, in there, reappraisal, 80% in theory should cover all the private money that I had lent out, pay them back plus their interest or their fee. Now I have a bank note out. Normally my bank notes are uh, 20-year AMs with a five-year balloon. Uh, I do have a lender who does a straight 20-year amortization. And so I actually refinance a lot of my properties into that. We talked about you know mitigating risk. And so the majority of my properties are in that 20-year fixed AM. Uh, but I'm working with a lender right now. Their interest rates are still very low. Like I just locked a 5.25% here two weeks ago <laughs> in a commercial loan. So yeah, they have the five-year balloon. But I'm like, hey, I'm rocking with you guys. As long as that interest rate is staying in the in the you know low to mid fives, I'll keep going with you. I'll refinance in the 20 year fix later with the other lender. So uh, brilliant that you're going longer term on the, the rate, right? I've seen oh. so many people make the mistake of when the market's getting shaky, they're not keeping an eye on that. And they're still doing these one year arms and three year arms you need to be able to get to the other side of the rainbow, yep. right? This is a cycle, folks. It's going to go up. It's going to go down, but then it's going to come back up again. Yeah. The trick is getting from where we are through the dip and back up on the other side of it. And to save that eighth of a point, a quarter of a point, um, I will, I could speak from experience, folks, pay the extra quarter or half or whatever it is, get yourself some terms so you can get through this. Yep. As JD is saying, if you're doing your homework, you know your metrics on the way in, you know where you're going to cash flow. In an inflationary period like this, chances are rent is only going to go up. You're probably going to be able to recast that and get more money than you are today. But if you're not fixed on your debt, boy, you could be into a world of hurt because rates are going to continue to do what they're doing. And uh, that's where folks get jammed up. Yep. A, a good bit. So that's, mitigate that risk with that debt as much. I don't like five-year balloons. I don't, I think they give you enough time. Most of the time they're going to give you enough time. Um, but I don't even like that. I, I mean, the 20 year fixed is my favorite. And there's another one with a 20 year you know, with a 10 year balloon. And you know, when I start doing that, I feel more comfortable. But yeah, like you said, when you start doing a one year arm in this market, Oh man, you're stressing me out. Just making me think about it. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, uh, I know you don't do a lot of syndications. We were talking offline, folks, before we we got on. But uh, there's a lot of, of people that were running around with these pro formas and they're not taking a look at at tomorrow and they're taking real short term debt on these multifamilies and banking on liquidity event after liquidity event and expenses going down, rents are going up. And it's like that's not. That's not what happens in yeah. real life, right? You, you got to make sure you can get the other side of the rainbow. That's that's great advice. So what about the management of the asset post-acquisition, the rent up, uh, maintenance issues? How are you managing all that stuff? Yep. So, you know, on the front end, I factor that in the pro forma. So when I say cash flow, all that's factored in, you know, normally around 10 to 15% maintenance rate, depending on what we've done on the property on the front end, right? Um, you know, 5% vacancy rate, you factored in taxes, insurance, all that. Um, I now have every property managed by a company. So I don't do any management any longer. I used to manage and I used to manage my Airbnb for a year and a half. And I'm just at the stage in life. I got three little ones, another one on the way. I, uh, you know, 
I wanted to be completely passive. And so I have great managers. Uh, not everybody can say the same. And it takes some time, I think, to find those and setting those expectations and interviewing. I hit the jackpot pretty quick. And part of that's because of my network. You know, you just use your network to see who other people are using. People say, well, how do I find property managers? To me, the best way to start is call other investors. Well, I don't know other investors. Okay, well, download an app like LandGlide or PropStream, get on there and look at all the LLCs listed and then look up the owner of those LLCs, call the guy, hey, I'm a new investor. Can I take you to lunch? If you call 10 of them, one of them's gonna let you take them to lunch. Then you grow out their network, you know? And so that's how I found my property manager. They do a great job. They're raising rents when people leave, uh, you know, when they're renewing, if the rents are under, you know, value, then we'll raise them up. Uh, they don't contact me unless it repairs over $500, a threshold we've set. So um, it's it's smooth selling for me. I got a great, great system in place right now. Do you mind me asking roughly what percent of the deal they're charging you on those? 10%. So all of my long-term rentals are 10%. And then my one Airbnb, my mom actually manages it. So I got a great deal there. It's like seven and a half percent. Airbnbs are usually 15 to 25%. So I hadn't told her that. I probably need to bump her pay up a little bit, but nobody <laughs> go, nobody chase my mom down because I am crushing it right now. <laughs> so folks, if you can find a management company that is handling your day-to-day, your lease up, they're adjusting rents, they're handling repairs for 10%. It may sound like a lot of money. It is free. <laughs> you can say that again. You can say that again. That 10% is the best money you will ever spend if you're looking to grow and scale. Another mistake I made you know, years and years and years ago when we first started, there weren't all these tools. There, for me to connect with a guy like you now, it's easy peasy, right? And mm-hmm. and like you said, if you call 10, probably four are going to say yes. Yeah. The We found that the investment community, man, it, it is an awesome network. and The best. Yeah. The best. Like people want to help. And and there's today, you've got videos on everything. There There is so much information and so much knowledge out there. Um, and it's easy to connect with folks. And if you take that stuff and you outsource it, it will give you the ability to scale in a real significant way. Uh, I made every mistake you can, JD. You name it, I screwed it up <laughs> along the way. And for a long time, we were trying to manage all that stuff. And boy, oh boy, do you get jammed up real quick. And then you don't understand how it happens, but it happens where all of a sudden, a week, two weeks, a month will go by. You haven't looked at a damn deal. You haven't looked at one new deal because you're working what feels like all day long and you're just in triage. You're just dealing with the next headache, the next issue that's coming, the next vacancy, the next adjustment, you're doing homework on comps and what change and you, 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 you get knocked out of. And for me, I'm I'm not a, a, a detail guy like that. Yep. I'm a deal guy. I'm a deal junkie. Dang. Give me the deals. I want to gobble them up, analyze them. I want to have fun with them. Uh, I was miserable. I was trying to run all this stuff and and then you bring somebody in and then it, man, oh man, that is the best advice um, I think you could possibly give. If you can find somebody that'll do that, um, that is a great, great way to help unlock the ability to reach the masses. So, yeah. And I always say, look, we're dealing with, and maybe this is naive of me, you know, but, but I, the way I think about it is. We're dealing with hundreds of thousands, if not million dollars worth of properties. Okay. And at this point, we got millions of dollars in our properties. 
why am I going to try to skimp for a couple of pennies? Why, you know, that is going to take so much of my time away. It's just yep. not worth it. I mean, it's just not worth it at all. And I'm assuming you got all that in your initial pro forma anyway, oh, yeah. right? So yeah. if you can't if you can absorb a 10% hit folks on your pro forma, it's probably not the right deal for you. Exactly. So if you had to give a, a, a newbie some advice, is there any specific like books or webinars or training, any any places that or books that you've read that really help to kind of frame this game for you off of Jump Street? So I think everybody says it, you know, if you're just brand new to money in general, I think Robert Kiyosaki does a good job with his rich dad, poor dad, just teaching about debt, right? How to leverage other people's money. Um, I really, when I started, I enjoyed podcasts like this. So any podcasts that you can get on and listen to people talk about real estate at the time when I first started, you know, I couldn't find that many, but bigger pockets. That was like, everybody only knew about bigger pockets. Now there's so many other good ones. So listen to every podcast you can, um, you know, hop on every real estate book you can. I, I didn't really dig into books. You know, people ask me, what's your favorite real estate books? I didn't really dig into to them that much. I listened to podcasts more. And then I went to guys, I think you can save a lot of time. I love reading books. I read a lot of them, but I think you save time going to somebody who's done it. And so I spent a lot of time with my buddy who was doing it and his team. I just would, whether they wanted me there or not, you know, I was on the phone hearing about their deals. I wasn't doing any deals. I was just listening and watching. And so I think you need to learn everything you can do. And then like we mentioned earlier, once you get that foundation, you can talk the lingo, you understand real estate, learn how to be a bird dog. That should be step two. And when I say bird dog is learn how to find deals, learn how to analyze deals, even if you're not buying any analyze deals every day or a couple days a week and learn, okay, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. Can I do something to this property? Like add a bet, add a bathroom, turn it from a three, one to three, two. And now it makes sense. You know, just like thinking through all those things all the time. Um, you know, that's really going to help you because like we mentioned, once you start getting that down, once you can mine those gems, right? Then you can find capital. Whether you say, hey, I don't have a ton of capital right now, you're going to find somebody who will probably lend to you. And so, um, you know, that that was big for me. And then obviously I'm I'm biased. I got a course coming out on, for beginners. So you can holler at me at Finance Cowboy on Instagram. Would love to help you. But uh, really dig in and just build that base and start finding properties or start analyzing properties. So th this has been great advice. Is that the best way for folks to find you on Instagram? Yep. Instagram.com slash Finance Cowboy. Uh, this was uh, a fascinating chat, JD. Best of luck. Congratulations on the success. Uh, I think it's a great story. Congratulations on the brand. This is this is great stuff, man. Really, best of luck to you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me. And like I said, if you got any questions, please reach out. Absolutely. He is the finance cowboy, JD Sustar. Everyone, as always, stay safe. Mm -hmm.